Welcome to the Farm Beats podcast. Farm Bits is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agricultural Team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska. The Farm Bits podcast comes to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture through interviews with experts, producers, and innovators from across the agricultural industry. We hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, Farm Bits followers. And welcome to another episode of the Farm Beats Podcast. I am Deepak Gimire. And I'm Katie Bathke. And we are glad to have you with us as we begin diving into the topic of using spray drones for pest management practices with Dr. Simmer, an assistant professor and extension precision egg specialist at the University of Georgia. Welcome, Dr. Simmer, to the show. To start us out, can you please tell us a little about yourself and your background? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Again, it's been a pleasure being here. Uh, So yeah, so I'm originally from India. Uh, I have a bachelor's in ag engineering from uh, Punjab Agriculture University, but then I came to the US in 2010 to pursue a master's in biosystems engineering from Auburn University. Uh, Then I actually graduated and worked for a a sprayer company, Hagee Manufacturing, uh, in Iowa for a couple of years and then came back and pursued my PhD here at University of Georgia in agricultural engineering again. And uh, since then, kind of been uh, in this faculty position where I'm currently assistant professor and extension precision ag specialist uh, since August of 2020. Awesome. So kind of going into that, your appointment at the University of Georgia has both a research and extension component. What does that mean? And what does that kind of look like for you in everyday life? Sure. So uh, so I have actually a heavy extension appointment, almost 80% extension and 20 research. But what that really means is that I'm, I'm one of the other extension specialists among the group here that work very closely with our extension agents and growers and how that feeds our research component is that we do a lot of applied research also which is directly based on a lot of either questions or issues that the growers are having related to precision ag technologies data management or any other technology that's new in the market and then creating that research-based information we are sharing in our extension job with our extension agents and our growers, so they can convey that to the growers or directly with growers via field days and meetings so they can utilize that on their farm. That sounds interesting and seems like a lot of work out there. Before we dive into today's topic, uh, can you please briefly share with our audience what actually sparked your interest in academia and particularly precision egg technologies? and agriculture research, and how has been your journey to the current position? Yeah, no, definitely. So as I said earlier, I'm uh, I'm actually from India. So I grew up on a very small family farm back in India. And uh, uh, to some extent, the, there has been some mechanization, you know, uh, in India right now. But uh, growing up, there was still not a lot of big machinery or any technology, you know. So when I came to the U.S. to pursue my master's, you know, that was the first time, you know, I worked with Dr. John Fulton at Auburn University, who's currently at Ohio State. And uh, he was kind of one of the best precision ag persons right there at that time. And I learned a lot about technology, you know, and not even knowing anything about such 
technologies that existed here. You know, it was just kind of intriguing to me what we're doing with those technologies in the fields to increase productivity or efficiency or stuff like that. So that was really, you know, something really cool to pursue. And like I said, I did work for the industry a little bit, and that has been a very valuable experience looking from the industry side on the precision ag or the ag technology, you know. So when I came back in the academics to pursue my PhD, you know, um, I have a lot of good relationship with a lot of industries that we work very closely on our research projects or product testing or new precision ag technologies. And and it overall overall it just kind of helped me learn more and more about you know the precision ag or how the growers are actually using it on their farm and some of the I want to say practical realistic solutions that they're looking for you know in today's world. I think that's a great point on how you talk about how the industry and your choice to go into academia and how you're kind of combining those things is really influential for those growers and I really like that you brought that out. So you do have a couple different areas in your research, and one of those is precision spray technologies. What kind of work are you doing in that area currently? Sure. So uh, so in, in my broader context in the precision ag, as extension person, you have to be knowledgeable on almost anything and everything in precision ag today because a grower can ask you a question on anything ag technology related, right? So I almost work in every every technology or precision ag area and uh, one of those areas is the precision spray technologies and uh, and we've been doing a lot of work anything from uh, you can say a sim as simple as a nozzle selection on a farm for a pesticide application you know evaluating different droplet sizes spray volume stuff like that to even some of the newest stuff you know, where you see a uh, site specific weed management, uh, you know, where uh, we're only spraying where the weeds are detecting them, either using UAV imagery or some other sensors. And at the same time, I think one of the, I wouldn't say necessarily a new technology on the spray side, but the pulse width modulation systems. So we're also evaluating a lot of response time and for those systems, how growers can effectively utilize those on their farm for precision spraying applications. Sounds like a lot of uh, things that can actually help farmer better manage uh, things precisely in their farms. And uh, as we have seen recently, uh, the drones are widely being used for different purposes in agriculture management. So uh, can you please explain to our audience, like what is the state of the drones used for spray operations in agriculture? Yeah, for sure. So that's been kind of the hot, hot topics, I would say, you know, recently. So I've been kind of involved in the in the drone side from the very early on, almost six, seven years when just a simple drone with the RGB camera kind of was introduced to the, the agriculture side, right? And everybody thought about this is going to change the way we farm and all that, you know, and, and it kind of happens with every new technology that come into the farming. Uh, but I think slowly the technology peaked and came back and saw where it was the best fit, that it is not a grower who's, who's going to fly a drone every, every day or every week on his farm. It's more like someone who's working with him, a consultant or a company providing precision services. You know, they're using the, the visual or the RGB camera for crop scouting or in-season crop management or multispectral 
Uh, so those are kind of being used right now through those type of applications where the where the dedicated precision companies or or people are providing those services to growers, right, for in season crop management. And then from last uh, couple years, uh, most or so last year, we have also seen this new, uh, you know, pesticide applications with drones, what we call drone sprayers, come into the picture. And and we're kind of also working pretty heavily on that side, just kind of to see where the technology fits, what the capabilities are. More or so, again, we want to make sure that if someone want to utilize or, you know, they're they're following the best management practices, but also they're aware about, you know, some of the capabilities of the technologies or the applications in that space. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. What do you think are some of the defining problems that spray drones can solve in today's agriculture and how farmers can be benefited through this technology? Yeah, for sure. So we we have already kind of starting to see this technology adoption to a little bit of mm -hmm. good level, I would say, among the growers. Uh, so where this really fits in, you know, and this is something I, I always say is about this because uh I have seen some comments about, you know, uh, spray drones are going to replace some equipment and all that. That's not necessarily true. You know, I think that's not completely true in my in my opinion, that it's just a, another crop protection tool that's out there in our precision ag toolbox. Right. Mm -hmm. And the technology is there to complement the ground sprayer and the other aerial applicator applications. Right. So this is perfect for spot spraying applications, you know, uh, small acreage, high value crop, specialty crop type applications, you know, and then something else I also say is more or so also for rescue applications, right? So if I had to take example of each one of those scenarios, you know, spot spraying, basically, if you have a late season escapes in the field, you know, where it's only more or so five acres or so even less or some patches in the fields in a big 60 90 acre field right mm -hmm. that this is a perfect tool because you don't want to get your 90 foot 120 foot ground sprayer out to spray the whole field or spray those patches right this is a perfect type of application for technology like this right specialty crops where it's a very small acres but very high value and you can't get the 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 volume of the canopy penetration of the product or stuff like that in blueberries or other specialty crops or orchards, you know, this is again a, a kind of good tool for those type of applications, right? And then the third, what I call a rescue application is, you know, uh, and it happens almost every year is that we have these weather challenges in the middle of the year where it rains too much, you know, we can't get our ground spur in the field. And then if you try to get hold of an aerial applicator or crop duster, you know, they they are behind, they can't come and spray you this week, you know, you it's hard to get on their schedule. And you have something like this sitting that you have to actually have to go and make a rescue application. That's totally fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, so those are type of the applications. This really complements our other, you know, ground or aerial applications it's not really meant to be spraying large acre and all that you know which we started to see a little bit of those commercial applications but because we're going to learn very soon or we're already 
that we still have a tank size, which the DJI's newest T40 is still 10 gallons and the battery life is limited anywhere from five to 10 minutes. You start spraying a 60 or 100 acre field, you know, you know you're going to do multiple refills, multiple battery chargings or that. And those are those are some of the hurdles that we're going to face and we're going to realize that that's not the best type of fit here in these cases. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Seems like uh, the spray drones will just serve as complementary to the ground sprayers and not just completely replacing them. As you mentioned that uh, some farms uh, are already being using the spray drone. So as an extension specialist, you may have presented your work on spray drone to farmers. So how has been the response of farmers when they hear about this technology? So so they're really excited about it. I, I, I To be honest, I haven't seen as much as interest in any other technology in the last maybe five to 10 years than the spray drones, you know, from the growers, just because it's got a cool factor to it. It flies in the drone and it sprays and all that, right? Um, the response from that perspective has been great, but there also uh, has been a lot of questions, right? Because if you think about it, um, we have been spraying with the ground sprayers forever, and we have so much research available on ground speed, volume, droplet size, you think about, you know, any parameter you talk about, there's a lot of research that has been done to optimize the application with those uh, equipment, right? And this being a very new technology, we don't know a whole lot about, okay, what spray volume, you know, really uh, is effective and how do we know it's effective when we have so many chemistries so it's almost like testing it with each different application right mm -hmm. we don't know what the application swat looks like is there an optimal application swat and it's going to vary by one drone to another drone so there has been a lot of you know questions like that the nozzle size the spray volume how high do i need to fly stuff like that and, and that's where we're kind of working with uh, doing some of the research on our own, but also working with some other colleagues and even growers to kind of figure out, you know, how we can best utilize this technology. I think that's so important that you talk about what we don't know still, all these parameters, because you're correct. Like we have used um, ground sprayers for so long. And so the drone, I could definitely see where this is an exciting factor. And it's going to be really interesting to see what it does in the future. So kind of... Um, continuing on talking about drones, what do you think are things that should be considered for a successful use of spray drones for effective pest management? Sure. So so it kind of goes back to, um, I think one thing or, or a few things we highly recommend is, you know, before you even buy one, right, as a grower, unless you are offering uh, planning to offer like commercial applications or something, then you have a goal in mind where you want to go with it. But if as a grower, you're thinking about it, or even as a commercial applicator, you know, you've got to see where is it going to help me on my farm, right? Are you, do you get in those type of situations every year where it rains too much or there are parts of the field or areas of the field, especially close to a tree line or where you can't get with the ground spray, you can't have an aerial applicator and this drone would make a perfect sense to spray, right? So see where the technology will fit on your farm before you even make a decision, I'm gonna go this, because if not, then 
you're probably just buying a toy for yourself to play with and you may not find a fit and it may sit in your shed or you know <clears throat> somewhere on the farm that's the first question and then i think those application parameters is a big thing that you can't assume that you can just put any chemical in it and spray at a two gallon rate and it's going to work just fine right so you gotta do a little bit of testing on your own to figure out what works and what doesn't work and in that case the application swath also matters right in most cases it's easier to think that oh i can just fly a little bit higher and it's going to cover more ground that's not true we're also reducing coverage and how far the materials going you know so you could easily end up with these streaks in the field where the material didn't get and right under the drone you may have a lot of coverage you may get a good disease control or whatever you're trying to control so know what your swath is what volume works for you for that type of application how high you know or what's the good optimal height that you need to fly at so you are maximizing the application but minimizing the drift that is one of the also biggest concerns because you think about it our ground sprayers only operate about 20 24 inches from the crop or the target and we already have drift issues with ground sprayer we're talking about a drone eight to ten feet above the target think about the distance there is and the potential for all that spray to go to a neighbor's field or somewhere right we want to do a better job of controlling diff than increasing the risk or potential for that with days so there's a lot of things to keep in mind you know as you're doing it and learning to be able to successfully use it the technology on the farm yeah of course i think uh, as more research are being conducted uh, there would be more knowledge and farmers can be benefited out of those research uh, outputs uh, previously, you mentioned that uh, some of the challenges with uh, spray drones adoptions are battery life uh, and tank capacity. Uh, would you like to add uh, some uh, more potential constraints for adoption of the spray drones? Yeah, so I, I think besides that, one of our biggest challenges and maybe uh, I want to say in a good way for some reason is is the rules and the regulations and the certification right that's a that's a big deal because you can't just you know nobody can just go go to a dealer buy a spray drone and start doing it you gotta you gotta do it all legally in a in a way that you are able to fly it and use the pesticides you know uh our, our rules and regulations were relatively less stricter or they were getting a lot easier for our normal drones where you just have a camera on it and you're just flying it for crop scouting there was even recreational flying that you can operate under right and those under part 107 but when we're talking about those rules only applied to the the drones that weighed less than 55 pounds right we're talking about these drones that could go anywhere easily over 55 when you're talking about, you know, water and the density and the weight of the whole solution in the tank itself. And there's a lot heavier regulations that apply, which need you to apply for a lot of exemptions because you are dispensing chemicals with the drone now. So that is one of the things, you know, and th that process right now is taking anywhere from eight months to a 12 month time period. You know, it's all available on the FAA website. 
I think that is one of the biggest. So we want to make sure we're encouraging growers or everybody who's interested to look into the process to so make sure they're doing all this legally and under the uh, following the rules and regulations, you know. So that would be one of the big things that will prevent anybody just not to go and get a drone and start doing it, right? Which is also, like I said, in a good way because technically we are in the airspace, right? When we're off the ground. And, you know, FFA is really working hard to actually making some of these restrictions less restrictive. So, so the technology can be, but they also want to be make sure that everybody's again doing it in a safe manner. You know, you're not just um, making any decisions that could cause any major issues or damage, you know, in the airspace kind of things. And then from the drone capabilities itself, right? got anywhere from a 500 gallon tank to a thousand or 1200 gallon tank on the bigger ground sprayers right drones are never going to get to that level the biggest right now like we said have on a t40 is about 10 and a half gallon right we will probably see it increasing in weight but that is also going to increase the size of the drone and the battery capacity and all that so I think we will always be kind of limited by that scenario of the tank and the battery life. And that's why it makes that technology a really good fit for spot spraying or specialty crop small acreage applications because you don't want to spend all day just refilling and recharging or, or putting the batteries in and out of the drone. So those are those are some of the, I think, those would be the big challenges, you know, when we solve the problem of a battery life like if we can find a way to increase the battery life where now you can fly it for 30 minutes or something or 20 minutes you know and and we find out that even the small volumes like two gallons or something would work good for some chemicals we can potentially see this expanding to a little bit more acreage it's really interesting to think about it in that concept and like where it could possibly be in terms of what the parameters are and that we know right now. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the biggest challenges you have faced with your research and how you overcame them in your in your time of extension or being in the industry? I think the decision angle technology research, it's very cool. It very, very feels great to be a part of, you know, because the, the technology is always exciting and everything, right? Mm -hmm. But I think the challenges we have is not every ag technology in the market today provides an economic return. Right. And when a grower is making a decision about something, he's always looking at where is this going to make me money? Or if I adopt it, how is this going to make me profitable or more productive on my farm, right? And it's really hard to put some of those numbers to technology in a way because doing an economic analysis on a lot of precision ag technologies, it's, it's almost like a little bit complicated and challenging task. You know, it can be done, but it needs a lot of like, having an economist on board, having people who understand where, you know, and sometimes technology just provides, you know, a, a, a value instead of any return. It's just that it's making your job easier. It may not be bringing any dollars back to you, right? How do you, how do you say that's worth $5 return or a $10 return, right? So there's a lot of those type of advantages that you can't quantify well enough 
in some cases, you know, to do that. And, 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 and the best we do is in our program, like anything is, you know, to test the technology to see what the real benefits are. And then we also have a lot of these progressive growers, you know, who are the very early adopters of those technologies. And they are almost in a way, a very good way of testing those technologies in the real world scenarios that they're constantly, you know, giving feedback on it. Does it work or not? Is it bringing any value to their farm? And something good about a grower is I always say this, you know, especially on the extension perspective is he's going to tell everybody if it really, he really likes it and he uses it. And he's also going to tell everybody if he really hates it or doesn't like it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of that information of if something works or not, and how do you adapt or use that information in our program to, to kind of encourage growers for technology adoption or, you know, towards that. Oh, and, and and I always say, you know, precision ag is to me, you know, is almost like this toolbox, right? That we have, that we have a lot of different tools in there, some basic tools and some advanced tools. It almost like that everybody's gonna need some basic tools, you know, a wrench, mm-hmm. a pliers, you know, a screwdriver, stuff like that, which are which could be like in precision ag and auto steer, GPS, section control, stuff like that, right? Not everybody's gonna need every specialty tool in there. It's more like a fit on your farm kind of thing. And that's where the growers need to see, will this new advanced technology fits on my farm? Is it bringing value? Do I need it? Or it it's not. And then I need to look at something else to make my operation more productive or profitable. That's awesome. I love that analogy. Of course, Vincent, like some early adapters uh, can help or communicate the words out if they are successful or if they are not, if the technology is not successful. So on that context, uh, what do you believe like is the role of the public sector, particularly academia, in developing uh, this kind of precision egg technologies and preparing farmers for a transition to using these technologies in their operations? Being in academia, you know, in a public sector especially, I think we have a pretty big role that everybody's filling, you know, in their respective positions. And 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 one of those roles is uh, again like i said uh, informing growers about some uh, about the benefits of the technologies but also what do they need to consider before adopting these technologies because you know one of our job as in academia is we are unbiased right we're not making money from selling any one type of technology or not you know so we can make those type of decisions easier when we try to compare and evaluate different technologies against each other. We can provide them that unbiased research-based information that either we found a value of using it or we did not find it, right? We can be that honest with them all the time about those type of things. And I think that matters a lot to a grower because um, I, I I don't think... Uh, this is another something I read somewhere about precision ag. If we had to look back 10 years ago versus today, 10 years ago, we were still pretty early on the technology phase where there were a lot of sensors, technology and all that coming in the agriculture, right? Where a lot of development were going on. I don't think we have a technology development issue today. There's a lot of technologies out there today, right? 
we actually don't have a technology development or adoption problem. We are actually, we have a technology implementation problem because everybody's just trying to create more and sell more without us really thinking how to effectively implement those on a farm or with the grower, right? And I think that's where also us in academia or the public sector fits in well is, you know, when we not just evaluate and test it, but also do a lot of on-farm trials with the growers and their fields is if there's something they're not completely utilizing in a better way is we can kind of help them get the most benefit out of on their farm, right? At the same time, be a little bit unbiased in providing that information to them. I love that, how you talk about the implementation and what it can look like. So we're going to segue that into a little bit of what do you think the future of using spray drones, especially for pest management in agriculture, might look like in five to 10 years? So uh, I think uh, I'm I'm going to stick with my like gut feeling here from what I have seen with the previous drone industry, you know, because what happened was when initially the the drones with just the cameras and sensors kind of came in the ag everybody was super excited and they were just putting it to use in every app operation or application right and we had a lot of these expectations so it was almost like we started here we went on on, on a bell curve like on the peak right where everybody was trying to use it for something and then we kind of came down and then it was a pretty much flat where it found its fit, right, in ag where a grower's not gonna go and fly it every day or process the data himself and all that. We learned those type of things, right? Mm -hmm. And it became a perfect tool for a lot of uh, crop consultants or precision uh, companies that are providing precision services for in-season management, stuff like that. They're the big heavy users because they also have the agronomic and the the technology expertise on how to analyze data, create maps and stuff like that, right? So I think we're gonna probably see a very similar trend with spray drones here that where we are early on on that uphill climb of let's try to kind of do anything and everything, right? And where we will probably see this year and next year a little bit more use or technology development or a bigger tank size, a different type of spray platforms coming in the market and all that. But I think we're going to go up there, get on a peak, and then slowly come down where it's going to find its fit in the ag, right? Where, where we'll again, my kind of feeling is that we'll see some of this commercial application kind of side taking off, you know, um, because it, it it does require you have a pretty good setup, you know, where you just don't have one drone, you have a multiple drones, you have a system for easier refill, recharge, stuff like that. And it's almost at that point, you're not going to just serve your farm with that. You're almost doing some sort of commercial business where you you're profitable, you know, and you're hard about or have all the operations figured out where this fits well and how can I provide grower a service right when he needs it. So I think that's where we will see, but it will definitely progress from here, but we will find some very unique applications. And I think that's where we'll kind of see it heading in the future. Yeah, that's that's kind of kind of interesting. Like you mentioned, the use of the drones with sensors uh, that gained hype, and now they are stationed 
at particular interest, research interest or application interest. So hopefully same would be. And then maybe the farmers or the technologists or the consultants can make the best use of these spray drones in the near future. So we talked a lot about spray drones, basically from research aspects to application aspects, constraints and all those things. Where can our listeners go to learn more if they want to about anything we have discussed today? I would point out internet, right? Uh, but, you know, what we talked about earlier, yes, uh, there's a lot of companies out there today offering spray drones, you know, go check their websites if you're looking for one, but also at the same time, look for some articles, blogs, or information from university personnel, right, that they have maybe written on the uses and the applications or the capacity or the limitations, but at the same time, rules and regulations, you know, because that's where you'll find a lot of, uh, you know, unbiased information, right, that these are, these are what are available, these are the type of platforms available, you know, you need to consider this, this, this. So, um, there's a lot of information. We do have a UGA Extension Precision Act blog where I think we did a little article last year on the same. And there's a lot of uh, information even in some of the the magazines and news outlets today since it's it's being one of the, you know, the hot topics these days. But make sure you're not just, you know, reading a, a one one industry company or a, a certain service provider website to gain more information you're you're checking a lot of different sources to you so you get all the information about it i think that's really important thank you for sharing that we have a tradition on the farm bits podcast we like to ask our guests for some words of wisdom or a piece of advice for any listeners who may be interested in implementing precision egg technologies do you have any advice for our listeners today for sure, I think it's the same advice for what I what I have implemented or learned over the years working in precision ag and and it's 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 just fresh in my mind because we had a big field day here or a meeting here yesterday and I was talking to some growers and they were trying to adopt some new precision planting technologies or advanced planting technologies, so as to say. And uh, and it's just uh being patient with technology because uh, you know, we always know this, that there are some days it's not going to work, you know, you won't like it. And it needs a lot of patience for you to kind of sit, really see the benefit from it, especially during the implementation phase, right? That it, it needs that. And then my other one is also, you know, uh, and it's for, it's, I think it's for the majority of the people, but maybe not the early or advanced adopt, early adopters you know, is when you're looking at technology, you know, I always say uh, you, you want to let the technology mature a little bit before you make a decision on implementing on your farm, right? Because there has been a lot of technologies come and go and not every technology was the fit in there. So if anything has been very well tested out, matured, and people have seen benefits and, you know, academia or university personal has done a little bit of research and have some information on it, you know, then it's always better. Like, don't jump on it the very first year if you're still, you know, trying to get into the precision egg and all that, because the first year, two or even three, sometimes is just testing out if this thing's really a good fit or not, you know, overall even in the ag side. 
So being patient, look for a little bit of mature technologies, you know, if you're still trying to adopt some of those technologies uh, where you're not, again, you're not on the early adopter side because those are the guys a lot of times which first year, second year, you know, and, and we also get a lot of good feedback from them, like I said. Thank you very much to Dr. Seamer for taking the time to join this episode of the FarmBeats podcast. It's really exciting to learn about the interesting aspects of the spray drones, challenges in adoptions, and what the future of spray drones may look like. One of my favorite parts of this episode is learning about the potential use of spray drones for emergency rescue in the field, where the use of ground spare is not feasible. I would have to agree. However, I really enjoyed his insight on the importance of implementing precision egg technologies to fit within your operation. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to sharing another digital egg story with you next week on FarmBits. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the FarmBits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have any comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the host and guest on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Beats.